Good evening to you all. My name is Jim Partridge. I'm one of the elders here at City Reformed. It's good to see you all uh, this evening. And uh, happy Father's Day. We already said that to those fathers out there. Um, some of you know me pretty well. Some of you do not. But uh, if I gave you a little pop quiz and asked you uh, um, where my favorite place in the world might be, what would you say? Throw it out. Anybody that knows my favorite place in the world? Maine. 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 Let me tell you about Maine. I've talked about Maine before. but uh, So picture this if you would. Come driving up to this little uh, lane in Maine. Uh, to this gorgeous lake, you're looking out over a lake that's about three-quarters of a mile long by half a mile wide, crystal clear. Um, you walk into a um, cabin, and the first thing you see is this huge pot-bellied stove, cathedral ceiling, built in 1909, has a lot of history there. You walk into this great room where there's a stone fireplace that goes about 20 feet up in the air as well. So, um, beautiful lake. You can see the bottom from about 20 feet. You can actually see fish down there. Um, Tracy gets a little freaked out when she's swimming in the lake because she's not sure exactly what's down there, but it's all good. It's a wonderful, wonderful place to be. Uh, at night, you might be awakened by the sound of the loons. If you've never heard a loon, they are one of God's great creatures. They have about four different calls. There's one that sounds like ridiculous, riotous laughter. There's another one that's this mournful cry. You'd think this poor loon was dying or something or missing their lover or whatever. It's just an incredible uh, creation of God. I love Maine. I love going there. And I'm telling you this because... Uh, we praise what we adore. We praise what we love. Now, I could have started with praise of my wife, but I think she would have been mortally embarrassed. And also, to be quite honest, the times that I've said, oh, how I love thee, let me count the ways, and she'll say, go ahead. And I'll be like, uh. So, I didn't want to fall into that trap again. We praise what we love and adore, and we've been going through the Psalter, and I just want to remind all of us that this Psalter, written in praise of God, is utterly unique. I was interested as I was preparing for the sermon tonight, there's 66 books of the Bible. 65 of those books are God's word to you and to me. One book of that 66 is not only that, but it's meant to be your response to God. The Psalter, friends, was not just meant to be read and preached as we're doing tonight. It was meant to be sung. It was Israel's hymn book. And unfortunately, we've kind of lost the sense of that um, in our culture. Uh, Psalms are not central in worship like they were at one time. I'm not here tonight to, uh, to give a, uh, a sermon on exclusive psalmody. I came out of a, um, my wife and I were in the Reformed Presbyterian Church for 20 years and learned to sing the psalms as we will do later tonight and love the psalms because of that. 
But we do need to recover the fact that these are songs that are meant to be sung. And they were sung by our Lord Jesus. They were his hymn book as well. One writer said this. He said, it's been said that the Psalter is a spiritual cardiogram. The Psalms accurately reflect our spiritual health. The more I'm at home in singing the Psalms, the more spiritually fit I will be. Uniquely in the Bible, the Psalms both speak to us and they speak for us. They are the God-given words with which we can address both our Heavenly Father and each other. Tonight we're going to look near the end of the Psalter, Psalm 145, which is entitled, A Song of Praise of David. It's actually the last Psalm of David in the Psalter as it was arranged. And um, we're going to read this in just a moment, and then a little bit later we're going to sing it just to give you a heads up. Um, The big idea that I'd like you to get from this psalm tonight is that when we praise and adore God, he gets the glory and we get the joy. Let me read this psalm and then we will, uh, I'll pray and we will uh, respond with, this is the word of the Lord. Psalm 145, a song of praise of David. This is the word of God. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Please pray with me. Lord, this is your precious 
word. We thank you for this psalm and how overflowing it is of your praise. How we pray that you would help us to not only understand it, but to live this psalm. Father, please give me clarity in speaking the word this evening. Uh, Open our hearts to your word and the work of your spirit. Please forgive my sins, Lord, and cause this word to be used for your purpose. We pray together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I was reminded, uh, if you were at the morning service this morning, Dave Snoke uh, preached on the fear of God, and I was just thinking of that as we read, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. And this psalm is really a a wonderful follow-up to what Dave had to say this morning. What I'd like to do is to first just look a little bit at the text itself, which talks about desiring to praise and adore God. I used a little John Piper thing here. John Piper, you may know, a well-known author and pastor, wrote a couple books. Desiring God was the one he was most um, famous for, perhaps. But then he wrote a sequel to that that was called when I don't desire God. And so I'm using that little uh, mnemonic tonight in your, uh, in your outline here. So let's look at Psalm 145. I just want to point out some, some general things about it. First of all, this is also one of the acrostic psalms or the alphabetical psalms. Um, what that means is uh, there's 21 verses. Each one of these verses, if you were looking at the text in the Hebrew, begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, Aleph all the way down through Tav. And um, that was done in a number of of psalms. The one that's probably best known is the longest psalm in the Psalter, Psalm 119, is actually in an acrostic pattern with each section, uh, about eight verses or so, uh, allotted to each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Why? We think probably because a lot of the word was memorized. People did not have access to the scriptures like we do. They memorized large portions of the word. And this was a way to actually help them in memorization. But I think it also uses structure and content to express a sense of totality, a sense of completeness. And David here basically says from A to Z, I'm going to praise the Lord for all that he has made, all that he has done. And so you see, as you look through the psalm, multitudes of synonyms for praise. Just look at all these words, extol, bless, praise, commend. They're all throughout the psalm. And many objects of praise, the Lord's majesty, the Lord's righteousness. His character is unfolded by David in a multitude of um, uh, vocabulary. We see both personal and corporate application here. We see that there's a multi-generational aspect of praise. We're to tell the generations to come. There's both the here and now, and there's the hereafter. You'll notice about three references to forever and ever. There's both the covenant the God's speaking to his people, but he's also speaking cosmically to the whole world. 
If we look more specifically in the first three verses, we see David giving testimony and giving his commitment to praise the Lord. Verses four to seven are this generational thing, this multi-generational corporate nature of praise. I think, I don't know about you, I make this mistake all the time. Uh, We can be so individualistic in our culture and we think about the scripture individualistically, right? I will praise God. Well, David does say that, but there's also a corporate nature to this. So you see these references of, of telling, uh, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. There's a corporate nature there. In verses 8 to 10, we see that this God is both sovereign and he's merciful. And the echoes here, you've probably heard these verses before. They're throughout the Old Testament. The fundamental place to go to is Exodus 34, where God on Sinai gives the greatest self-description that you'll find in Scripture. And it's almost verbatim in verses 8 through 10. In verses 11 through 13, we hear about this great, powerful king and his kingdom which might remind you of the book of Daniel where the Son of Man is described in using some of the same terms and Nebuchadnezzar himself gives praise to this God and his dominion. If you look at the end of verse 13 in your English text, you'll see that there's a little bracket there. This is kind of a cool thing. That is what has been called the missing noon. We said that this is an acrostic. Well, if you were to look at a King James Version of this psalm, those ver- that verse will not be there. Because in the Masoretic text, which is uh, the main text that is accepted by most scholars this, uh, today as the, the authoritative Hebrew text, that verse is not there. And yet, it is in other manuscripts. So it's not in the King James, and yet, in the providence of God, in 1947 the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. And lo and behold, there was a version of Psalm 145, and there was that noon text, and it gave weight to the fact that this was probably in the original. God completed the acrostic, so to speak, with the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's kind of a neat thing, as how the Lord preserves his word. And verses, from that verse there, and through verse 16, we see again, This God is personal, he's merciful, and yet he's also a cosmic provider. Verses 17 through 20, again, give a more expanded view of the Lord as cosmic and yet covenantal in his righteousness and his responsiveness to his people. And finally, David gives testimony again at the end of the psalm. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever, a universal and eternal call to praise. David in the psalm is bursting with praise. He's using as much vocabulary as he can to portray the character of the God he loves. He's making much of God because he's in love with him. Augustine said that we are what we love. And what we love, we inevitably want to tell others about. 
whether it be God or Maine or ice cream. There's an inherent wealth in praising. It completes the enjoyment of a thing, according to C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote a wonderful chapter. He wrote a small book on reflection of, uh, on the Psalms. Not a theological work, but uh, there's a great chapter in there called A Word About Praising. I'd commend it to you because he, he gives some great thoughts about what it means to truly praise God and praise really anything rightly. He suggests, and Tim Keller picks up on this in his book on prayer, that praise changes us. We must praise God or we will live in unreality and poverty. Praising and adoring God awakens us to the real world. And it increases our enjoyment of him. And friends, we're also aligning ourselves for eternity. Because in heaven, with the angels, we will be a people of perfect praise. We have that to look forward to. So, when we praise and we adore God, he gets the glory and we get the joy. But I have to say that I think the obverse is also true. When we don't praise and adore God, he does not get the glory and we don't get the joy. We have to talk about the fact that we often don't have any desire to praise God. What do we do in those situations? Look at verses 1 and 2. You'll see one of the characteristics of this psalm is David with this commitment, I will, I will, I will, I will. I don't know about you, that makes me nervous because I think of the times when I say in my pride, I will not. I don't have time, God. You don't understand my day. This is not a time for praising. Monday morning, right? Tuesday morning for me. I'm off on Mondays. Tuesday, I go into work, and I am often not in a frame of mind to praise God. I think it goes back to, again, what we love and adore. It's when our loves are disordered, which they are because of our sin. That's what leads to the anger, to the anxiety, to the discouragement as well as to relational issues, disordered loves. And that's not just personal, that's also even social and cultural. That level is disordered loves. There's also the matter of ingratitude. Romans 1 tells us that though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Friends, we have a problem with thanks and praise because of our sin. And yet, if we would realize that praise, the praise of God leads to spiritual health. It's the antidote. What can we do? Well, if you were to read John Piper's book on when I don't desire God, he would say, you need to repent. You need to turn back to God. And that's what we need to do when our hearts may be hard and that's it's a hard thing to do. I realize it's kind of like saying don't worry to a worry wart. But the grace of the gospel is that we can turn and cry out to Jesus to give us the heart of praise. He himself sung this psalm. He in his humanity 
sung through many, many trials and temptations. And friends, if you are committed to him, you're united to him by faith. Cry out to him when you have that heart that does not want to praise. So I want to talk about becoming a people of praise. There's, I think, in addition to just turning to God, how can we actually become more a people of praise? I'd like to suggest three little applications, and then we're going to do a corporate application by singing. C.S. Lewis kind of suggests this first one. It's the idea of awakening to the creation. He talks about tracing the sunbeam back to the sun. Have you done that? Have you taken time to smell the flowers? Have you taken time to look at the creation? Look at what's around you. So my application of this was this morning. As I was preparing this text, quiet morning, had a cup of coffee. I walked outside my backyard. If you've ever been to our house, we have a tree, a Norway spruce tree. This tree is massive. This tree is over 100 feet high. It spreads its boughs out. My neighbor's probably going to be talking to me because it's over his house. This tree offers shelter. This tree offers beautiful shade. This tree is majestic. This tree was created by God. There's mystery in this tree. How does the water get all the way up to the top of that tree? That's a biological mystery. I remember taking a plant phys course and nobody's really figured that one out. It's a mystery. This tree in the creation reminds us of God in so many ways. Open your eyes to the creation. I was also listening to the birds and the birds and their varied calls, like the loons, right? Got to go to Maine. You'll love the loons. Secondly, we need to awaken our minds. Paul talks in Romans 12 about the renewal of our minds. Meditation is a lost art in Western culture. It's a lost art, not just because, you know, you may say, meditation, whoa, that's an Eastern thing. No, meditation is, is ruminating and taking time to think and read and pray and do slow down. We don't slow down in our culture. We need to awaken our minds through meditating on the Word. And finally, my last application is awaken your voice. Awaken your voice to sing the songs of Jesus. The Psalter, friends, are the songs of Jesus. He sung them many, many times. We have recorded uh, him singing during the Passover, at the Passover meal. They would sing Psalms 113 through 118, uh, the Passover Hallel. You know that he sang on the cross. Jesus sang the Psalms because they expressed his heart. He sang the Psalms because they drew him nearer to his Father in his humanity. Learn the songs of Jesus. Sing them with your Savior. And that's what I want to do now. I want us to sing Psalm 145. And I'm going to invite you to do this even if you might not have this tradition of psalm singing. Let me just set this up a little bit. If you look in your insert, we have three selections of Psalm 145. Um, we're going to sing these a cappella, meaning no... Uh, no accompaniment, and um, I want to encourage you to sing with gusto. If you're not a singer, 
that's okay. Uh, Daniel could probably tell us about uh, some, there's a singing tradition called sacred harp singing. And if you YouTube it, it's amazing because you will see people singing, singing their lungs out in praise of God. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So let's sing like the, in the sacred heart tradition tonight. Um, so we're going to sing Psalm 145. I'm going to lead us. Um, to make it a little bit easier for us, first of all, the first, if you look at 145A, uh, if you know music, the tune may be uh, familiar to you. It's Jesus Shall Reign is the hymn that is set to that tune. So that may be a familiar tune. I sing this the Monday mornings, if God gives me grace, I, this psalm is what comes to my mind when I don't want to praise God. I just, Psalm 145a is my go-to. Uh, psalm 145b is a little bit more contemplative. It's a beautiful, beautiful psalm uh, from the middle of the, of the psalm. And then finally, Psalm 145c that we'll sing, uh, that's a personal favorite for uh, perhaps my wife and I because... Our congregation used to sing that before our fellowship meal. We would have a fellowship lunch after every service, and that was kind of our, our thanksgiving to God. So, Daniel's going to come up forward here, and um, I'm going to sing the first uh, verse for you. He'll give me a pitch, and uh, after I sing this, I'm going to ask you to, well, let's stand now. You've been sitting for a while. Stand up. We're going to sing Psalm 145a. We'll sing the first verse in unison. If you feel comfortable with singing in parts after that, feel free. La, 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 la. It goes like this. I'm going to sing, okay? And Daniel's with me. I will depraise my God, O King, and I will ever bless thy name. I will And evermore thy praise proclaim. Let's sing together. I will thee praise my God, O King, and I will ever bless thy name. I will extol thee. Yeah. 
Yes, I will tell. They utter shall abundantly the memory of thy goodness great and shall sing praises cheerfully while they thy righteousness relate. Amen. Please be seated.